Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. It's very good to see you. Happy Father's Day, Jeremy. Single out there. Um, Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Oh, yeah, we're going to need to pray. <laughs> let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the ability to come here and have fun on Father's Day, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're not against having fun in church, Lord. You want your house to be a place that is life-giving and, and full of happiness and joy. And Lord, in your, in your presence there is freedom. And so we thank you for that, Lord God. And Lord, we just commit the rest of this time to you, Lord. We pray that you would realign our thinking and that you would help us to know who you are and the kind of father that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a survey was done of uh, people in counselling, Christian counselling, and uh, the way that they thought about God. And these were the most common answers that were given. Number one, oh, sorry, I'm just I'm trying something new and I think it's going to work. Yes. Oh, yes, come on now. Okay, number one, when I think about being with God, I feel distant and alone. When I have to trust God, I feel he will make me do something I don't want to do. When I think about God, I wish he would talk to me. Sometimes I get angry with God when he doesn't answer me. It frustrates me when God wants me to do things I can't do. I really enjoy God when he is there to help. The one thing I would change about myself to please God is everything. When I think about God's commands, I feel a failure judged that he's going to get me. Sometimes I wish God would get me out of this mess and take me home. I can really depend on God when I do everything right, when my performance meets his level. In my relationship with God, I'm always sure that he will get me, make me pay or reveal me to others. The one thing that frightens me about God is judgment. God surprises me when he comes through and helps. The one thing I'm afraid God will do is take one of my children to get my attention. Now we might think, no wonder that person's in counselling. <laughs> but actually that survey was done on a bunch of different people and, uh, and their most common answers were given. And, and I think we can all identify with at least one of those thoughts at one time in our life, even if it just flew in and we dealt with it and threw it out again. I think that we can identify ourselves somewhere in there. So while we may sing that God is a good, good father and then we reaffirm it, it's who you are. We reaffirm it again, it's who you are. We reaffirm it again, it's who you are. <laughs> we, we have to tell ourselves sometimes because while we sing it, sometimes it, always, it doesn't always penetrate on the inside. And we have to keep reaffirming it. And, and actually those things that we saw on the board just said maybe are more reflective of our experience of our own father than of the heavenly father that he is. Now, speaking of fathering, it'd be very good if you fed your children tonight. And so kids' dinner is up the back. And if you're uh, in um, your school-aged child, that dinner is for you. You can grab it and come back and sit with your parents. The kids in the program are getting fed so they won't miss out. Holes and Mads. Oh, Holes, you're too old. Madsy, if you want some food, you can go get it. Okay. <laughs> so we look at our own experience of, of, of being fathered rather than who our Heavenly Father is. And so tonight I'd like us to look at three aspects of, of the things that we're going to look at. I'd like us to acknowledge Perhaps the way that we've been fathered, not to find fault, but to maybe see the filter that we're seeing through as we look at God the Father. And then I'd like us to, once we've identified that, then look at who God really is, who he declares himself to be in the word. 
And having looked at who he said he is, I'd like us to then um, appropriate that to our lives and see how we would reflect the Father in our lives. So three aspects, and we're going to look at five kinds of earthly fathers that some of us may have had father us. And maybe, maybe you won't identify with any of these, but maybe you will identify with one or more. Now, one of the most difficult fathers to have had is the abusive father. And, and if you've had to endure an abusive father, then I'm so sorry that you had to endure that. And maybe you've been through that difficult healing process and you're okay now, or, or maybe, um, maybe you're still going through it, or maybe you haven't quite started it yet. But an abusive father obviously is one of the most traumatic fathers that we can have. And maybe if we've had an abusive father, when we look at God, all we see is a God who is big and mighty and strong and something to be feared if we've had that as our experience. Maybe we see that God doesn't stop abuse and we look at all the starving people in the world and we think, well, that lines up with who I know God to be. He, he doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't look out for me. But actually, it's not true at all. And so we need to establish this. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 11. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If, there were, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in some of his last words. And as is so often the case with Jesus, when he gives these deep truths, the disciples just kind of take it on surface level. So Jesus says, I'm going somewhere to prepare a place for you and, and, and when, I'm, when I'm ready, I'll come back and get you. And the disciples respond out of their natural understanding and Thomas says, no, we don't know, Lord. We've got no idea where you're going. So how are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that kind of dispels it if we ever think that every road leads to God and as long as you believe in a God, then you're going to make it. No, Jesus says very clearly there that no one can come to the Father except through me. And he says, if you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. Even now. Even now, from now on, sorry, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone has, who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is saying here, I'm the Father on display right here on this earth. You want to know who the Father is? Look at my actions. Look at the way I've conducted my life and you'll know who the Father is. And then Jesus says, of course, that we're supposed to be like him. So we're then supposed to display the Father on earth as well. So here's Jesus. And, 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 and if you look at Jesus' life, not only did he not like abuse, wherever there was abuse, he stood up for it. He, he declared and proclaimed that that was not okay. You know, there's three kind of examples of this that we tend to misunderstand in our modern day thinking. You know the, the scripture about if someone hits you on the cheek, then turn the other cheek to them also. Um, my brother-in-law, uh, he'd just gotten saved and he was, a, he was a monster as an unsaved man, as a non-Christian man. He used to be in bar fights and club fights all the time and, you know, have things going on with rough people and nearly killed someone, all that kind of stuff, really bad. And he was at work one day and someone heard that he'd given his life to Jesus. And they came to him and said, Mark, you've given your life to Jesus, haven't you? And he said, yeah, I have. And he said, so that means if I hit you now, you've got to turn the other cheek. 
And Mark said, yes, that's exactly right. And you know what? I pray I would, but why don't you be the first person to try and we'll see how it works out. And they go, I'm good, I'm good. You know, we kind of think of that, 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 you know, if you get hit, you offer the other cheek, that that's a really humble and beautiful and peace-loving thing to do. And yes, it is. But when Jesus said that, he was actually declaring, make sure that you don't think that you're less than anyone else. You see, in cultures in, in India at the moment, if you do anything, you shake with your right hand. Am I right, Bruce? Right hand to shake hands, right hand to eat with. Why do they not shake with their left hand, Bruce? <laughs> the truth is that in India, it's their wiping hand. And so it's their unclean hand. So they don't, don't shake your hand. They don't eat with that hand. It's that unclean hand. And it was, so it was true of first century Jews as well. So it says that when you um, offer, when you get hit on the right cheek, there were two ways that this would have happened if we're standing facing each other. This was not an equal fist fight, two blokes going at it and make sure if you get hit that you offer the other cheek. No, this was a, this was a dominant relationship where a slave would have been hit by their master or a wife in those days would have been hit by their husband or a child hit by their father. And it would have been, if, if they had their right cheek, they would have been hit like this with a backhand across their cheek. And by offering their other cheek to them also. The person would have had to hit them with their left hand, declaring that they were about to do an unclean act. That's one way that that would have gone. The other way is that they would have said, you're not even worthy to be hit with my right hand. And they hit them across that way. They offer the other side to them and say, no, you'll treat me as an equal. You want to hit me? You'll hit me as an equal. They actually were being defiant, not compliant. They were saying, this is who I am. I'm worthy of being treated equally. Uh, There's another part that we know well where the Roman soldiers were able to give their pack to someone walking along the road and say, go with me one mile. And they had to carry their pack one mile. And and, uh, Jesus says, well, if if they say that, go with them too. And we go, wow, that's so generous and that's so really loving and humble. But in fact, that was taking the power back because if a Roman soldier gets to the end of the first mile... And you say, hey, you know what? I'll go with you too. You see, the Roman soldier was allowed to conscript you for one mile, any more than one mile, then they'd be in trouble. So if you were to say, I'll go with you too, they risked being in trouble from the commanding officer. If they, if they didn't, they had to say to you, oh, no, thanks, just put the pack down. They had to treat you as an equal. Jesus was saying, sure, don't respond with violence, but stand up for who you are and make sure that you make them know that you're unequal. And another one is, when Jesus said, if you take off, if someone takes your tunic, give them your shirt also. We're like, yes, generous, all that kind of thing. But no, your tunic was surety for a loan that you had to pay. And in the Old Testament, it says in Deuteronomy that if it's cold at night, make sure you give their tunic back overnight to take care of them, even though they owe you money. That there's a way to go about it that, that still is giving them dignity and honour. And, uh, and what is happening, that if they've got your cloak, Jesus is saying then they're not treating you with dignity and honour at the right time. And so give them your shirt as well. And as you stand there half naked, everyone looks at the person with your shirt and with your tunic and knows them as a tyrant and as a person who's oppressing someone else. That's not how it was supposed to go. The tunic was only of a surety. So, so Jesus stood up for those who were oppressed. Everywhere he saw people oppressed by the status quo, by the reigning administration, he spoke up for them. Everywhere he saw people discarded or excluded by the religious systems, he just got in there and did something about it. He didn't let his position preclude him from action. He let it propel him into action. And he held himself accountable to making sure he made a difference everywhere he went. He, uh, he turned over the tables of people who excluded others 
and said, come on, excluded, come on in. That was the only time he was violent in his reaction. He just got in there and started turning over tables. He's like, no, no, my house will not be a place where people are oppressed. My house will not be a place where there's violence or there's oppression or anything going on that doesn't give glory to me. Where there was profiteering and tyranny and maltreatment. He just went in and healed people. He just like, I'm sorry, whatever system you're subject to at the moment, that system is subject to the kingdom system. And I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. He wanted people to know that he was against abuse. Psalm 68 verse 5, because he's just reflecting the father, says that he is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. That's who he is. And so if you had an abusive father, you need to know that your heavenly father doesn't stand aloft ready to punish That's not who he is. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. And so as reflectors of him, the question is, where are you standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves? Where are you defending the cause of the defenseless? And you might think, I I I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, just ask God for your first step and follow whatever he says. And let's all be those who say, well, if there's any violence of people that who are weak, Against people who are weak, it won't happen on my watch. It's not going to happen anywhere that I can see. Another um, type of father that is actually prevalent today is the father that's abandoned his children. You may never have known your father because he failed to take responsibility for his decision. Or maybe you remember him leaving, but regardless, that would have been an incredibly traumatic event. And so it's small wonder for us that if our fathers left us, that then when we feel like God is distant, and absent that we feel abandoned by him as well. But that's not who God is. In 1834, Albert Barnes, he's a a commentary writer, he wrote about Psalm 27 verse 10. He said, it's very rare that a father or mother would ever abandon their child, but it could happen. I'm like, imagine if he lived today, he would be shocked. Psalm 27 verse 10 actually says, "If even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads the nursing ewes. No matter who you are or what your situation is, if you're a little lamb that needs carrying you, he will carry you to safety. If you're a ewe, he will lead you into safety. He will lead you to that green pasture. He is not a God who abandons. He is a God who loves Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the son of her womb? Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on unfamiliar paths. I will turn darkness into light before them and rough places into level ground. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them, the Bible says. (laughs) He is our ever-present help in our time of adversity. He is not absent. He is not absent. If you've been abandoned or left or quit on or deserted and it's hurt you and rocked you, let God minister his stay to you. He is not leaving. He is the God who stays. He is the dad who stays. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so our question today is, as we reflect who he is, who will you stay loyal to? Will you stay when the going gets tough? 
Will you refuse to walk out on those given into your charge? I know that sometimes it's easier to leave and sometimes we're not actually allowed to stay. But as much as it depends on us, will you determine that you're going to stay because you've got a heavenly father who, though you rejected him time and time again, he stayed with you. Will you determine that you'll stay? Another kind of earthly father that we encounter is a father who's not present. He's not left, but he's not really present. He might be non-communicative. He, he might be there, but you never kind of interact and he's not engaged. He might be there, but it, it doesn't seem like he is. And so we carry that into our sonship as a, a son and a daughter with our father. We say to God, I love you, God. Yes, I want to follow you, but I will never actually expect you to turn up because that's not my experience. I'll never expect you to actually come through for me because that's not my experience. Many of us have heard the teaching that a better rendering of the Lord's Prayer, other than our Father who is in heaven, which is a very reminiscent of a, a God who is very far off and aloof and aloft and doesn't want much to do with us, that actually it's our Father, who is as close as the air we breathe, we stop and become aware of you. The psalmist writes, where would I go from your presence? <laughs> he is present. He is very present. Where would I go from your presence? If I were to ascend to the heavens, there you are. We all kind of go, well, yes, of course, because that's where God is. But then the psalmist writes, but if I were to make my bed in the depths, you're there as well. He says, if I were to spring, like sprout wings and fly to the furthest ends of the ocean, you're over there as well. And if I were to wrap myself in the night, then there you'd be as well because the darkness is just like light to you. It doesn't make any difference. My darkness is as light to you. You just come in and you don't, you don't leave me. You don't forsake me. You just come in and you be present, God, because that's who you are. That's what the psalmist writes. He had a revelation of who God is. I mentioned Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of adversity. Your dad may not have been present, but your heavenly dad is there in every single moment. And, and so this is a big one for me. Are we present in the moment? Are our notifications more pressing to us than us being in the moment? Who has our presence? Our family or our phone? Are we present? Are we going to reflect our heavenly father who is present every single moment or will we reflect something else? And none of these obviously are restrained to fathers, but it's Father's Day and, and uh, I'm a female and never been a father, so I've got to tie it in somehow. <laughs> um, none of these are restrained, but, but especially not this one, but I will mention it because uh, it may be our experience. If you've been fathered by someone who's completely changeable, you never knew how you were going to get them. You never knew what you were going to encounter. It depended on the day as to how you were going to find them. Uh, maybe it was temper or they kept changing the goalposts or, or there were standards or discipline that just kept changing. There's something so destabilizing about living like that. You never quite know when you wake up and walk out to the kitchen what you're going to encounter. And it's so difficult. You never know what you're going to get. But our Father reassures us in James chapter 1 and verse 17. He says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down to us from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. He says there's not even a variation of shadow due to change. He's saying that he is actually so stable and so unchangeable that he can be depended on and he can be relied upon. 
every good and perfect gift. Psalm 102 verse 27 says that, but you remain the same and your years will never end. So if he's going to remain the same, how he started is how he's going to finish. And it says that he made the great lights, his loving devotion endures forever. He, he's just always going to love. He's always going to be lovingly devoted to you. It's going to endure forever. And so the question comes to us, where are people unsure of what they will encounter with you? If you have a bad day, does everybody you come in contact with know about it? <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we can reflect our Heavenly Father and become those who are stable and reliable and dependable. Finally, there are those of us who have encountered a mean father. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, would any of you give your hungry child a stone if the child asked for some bread? Would you give your child a snake if the child asked for a fish? Your answer would be, yep, I reckon he would. He'd give me a stone and he'd say, make a meal out of that. If you're really hungry, you'll eat it. And, and we actually think that, yeah, no, I, I think my dad is actually like that. He would. But Jesus, is, his point is that we inherently know what a good father should be giving us and what he shouldn't be giving us. We just read that every good and perfect gift comes from the father. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about, uh, 1 verse 3 talks about us being blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing, not every material blessing because he's more concerned with our inner joy and contentment and meaningful and purposeful and eternal long-lasting joy than he is about our happiness that's here today and gone tomorrow. He'll give us a spiritual blessing rather than a material blessing every day of the week. But then sometimes he gives us material blessings as well. He's a good father. He's a great father. You know, if we're to be like him, he is just lavishing his love and his grace upon us. And sometimes we think that we need to toughen our kids up. I grew up on a farm. You had to rub some dirt on it and swallow some cement. That's how you got through everything. And I think that I've carried that into my parenting as well. I, I, I'm trying to toughen my kids up often rather than give them a place of security and safety to operate from to go into this crazy world where everything is messed up and they know that there's someone to be depended upon and relied upon. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God of our Father, to the God of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We're supposed to be those who are comforting others. I didn't know, I heard that Daz's message was an absolute cracker this morning. I didn't hear it, but I heard the guys just say, the guys that just ensured we're never ever having a youth takeover, just say that, um, that, um, that he talked about uplifting others. And, uh, and, and do people go away from you feeling comforted? Do they feel comforted with the same comfort that you've received from God? Do people go away from you with their shoulders a little further back, their back a little straighter, their head a little higher, thinking that they can take on the world? Because you know what? When I spend time with God, that's how I feel when I come away from that. I feel like actually that problem that I had is not as big anymore and actually I feel like I can tackle it and I feel like I'm going to be okay. Are you someone that when people spend time with you, they feel a little bit more uplifted, a little bit more ready to take on the world and take on whatever is happening in the day? Is that the person that you are? My son Loco this week said to me, you see, when Daz isn't there, we just fall about laughing around the table. It's not that Daz stops the laughter when he's there. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why. 
I, it's just a gift, maybe. I don't know, it's just like on track. Come on, guys, let's get to who, what's plans of people got? Who wants to colour coordinate my calendar with me? <laughs> oh, no, well, I'm about to really make my point here. Um, so... Um, so we, what happens is that we all just get around and tell funny stories or someone will tell one story or show something that they did and everyone gets in and we just make jokes, joke for joke for joke for joke and I often end up kneeling on the floor in laughter or, and then the kids end up mocking me about my laugh and, and I start banging on the table and they start banging on the table and it's just the best. Um, but Locke said to me this week, he said, Mum, I don't want you to tease me. We're talking about something in particular. He said, I don't want you to tease me, Mum. And I was like... <laughs> This is, this is who I am. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And I actually had to really think about it and really get my mind right. I said immediately in the moment, oh, well, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't everyone, blanket, that no one could tease Locke because that's not real. That's not going to happen in the world. But if he didn't want me and he was just saying me to tease him, then I, I just said, okay, Locke, no worries, mate. That's fine. I won't. And, and I was a bit like, how am, I, how am I supposed to stop this gift of mine? And <laughs> But I realised that he's got two very quick-witted sisters. One is incredibly sarcastic. And so when he sits down, he's got three women, and to be women, just berating him constantly. Now, he can give as good as he gets, and he's hilarious, and it's so much fun. But, you know, he wants a female in his life who's building him up. He wants a female in his life that's saying, Loco, you're a champion, buddy, and you're a conqueror, and you are a legend. He wants just one of those females around that table to be that person. And, and it, it really, the Holy Spirit just nailed me on it. And I know that that's who I need to be for Loco. So where are we provi- providing that safe place? Where are we being that for someone? Where are you causing faith to rise by believing in and setting up others to win? Where do they come away from being with you? Just lifted and ready to go. That's the kind of parent that I want to be. That's the kind of person that I want to be in my life. So I've just highlighted five types of earthly fathers and maybe you identified in there. And I just want to tell you a quick story to set you free. You see, I'm still waiting to meet my dad. Um, Most of you know he was electrocuted in a farm accident when I was eight weeks old. And he's already gone to heaven and I can't wait to meet him. But as a kid, I did not know how to deal with that. You know, there's not a photo of us together because I was only eight weeks and third child and you don't take photos of your third child. So you dad, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Sorry. He's really funny, like I've been told. He's hilarious. So <laughs> you wouldn't have minded. <laughs> the cloud of witnesses, someone's texting me. Um, and, uh, but I'm still waiting to meet him. And, and I didn't know how to, you know, everyone used to come up to me when I was about eight years old at family gatherings and they'd say, oh, you look just like your father. And I'd be like, really? I'm an eight-year-old girl. Do I really look just like my I just didn't know how to deal with it. And by that stage, I had a stepfather and he was the only dad I'd ever known. Mum married him when I was three. And I didn't know how to appropriate, I didn't know how to deal with the praise of my real father that would, people would give because they wanted to keep his memory strong and alive and be loyal to my stepdad because it seemed like there was this competition going on in my kid mind and I didn't know how to be loyal to my stepdad and, and, and let praise happen for my real dad. I just didn't know how to deal with it. My dad, my stepdad was incredibly selfless. He used to have family Christmases with my real dad's family where he knew no one um, for our sake. And so he was an amazing man. But I, I just didn't know how to deal with it. Apparently, I'm so much like my dad. My uncle says that he can close his eyes and it feels like dad's back in the room. 
And so that is a way that I know him. But I didn't really know my stepdad either. And growing up, he had a mammoth task of taking on a mum and three kids that had an established order. He, he, he came into that system and he had to find out where his fit was, where the boundaries were, what, what he had to do. I can't even imagine what it would have been like. And uh, various times growing up, it was incredibly difficult for him. One day he came to visit us in Tamworth with mum and, and he was, I, I, looking back now, I realise it was probably the worst year of his life. We had to sell the farm and, uh, and it, things were going crazy at church. Everything had kind of cut loose there. And so looking back, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't think about it at the time. I was only thinking about myself. He had to go, he was going through a really hard time. And he was very um, non-communicative. He didn't talk unless you spoke to him. Uh, he didn't engage with the kids at all. And, uh, and he got mum out of there as quick as he could and they went back to Kara five and a half hours. And I, I was livid. I was livid that night. I was so cranky. I asked dad if I could have his permission to tell this story and he's so selfless. He said, yep, that's no worries, Bron. And um, I was livid and I jumped on my computer. Big mistake, okay? You're livid, don't jump on your computer. Pulled up my emails, typed out one to dad. You know what, dad? You were barely even here and you certainly weren't here at all in your presence. And and, and you know what? They've got a great granddad on the other side. Darren's stepdad's amazing and he engages with them all the time. And they've got beautiful people at church like Dale and Bob Walton. And, and they're being a great grandparents too. And they've got great uncles like Dan Coleman. It doesn't matter um, that you're not present in their life. They're not missing out. But tell you what, you're missing out in the love of three great kids. Sen, in my anger. And three, oh, it must have been four or five months I didn't see him. And that's pretty normal. We don't see them that often. And the next time I saw him was at state conference and um, he was across the room and as I looked across at him, I really felt God say, you've told him everything that's wrong with him, how about you tell him everything that's right with him? And in my seat, I sat down and you know what, there was a lot to be said, there's a lot to be written down. I wrote down, Dad, you took us on, I thank you so much for that. Dad, you stuck around. Thank you so much for that. At one time, every single one of us rejected you at some point and you stayed with us. Dad, thank you for always staying at the dinner table when one by one we decided to take our meals into the TV because that's how I have my meals with my kids now and it's because of your example. Dad, thank you for your discipline because that's how I discipline my children. I expect them to regard my yes as yes and my no as no. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad, that every time I had a question about the Bible that you took the time to answer, not only took the time to answer, you'd take an hour after our discussion to go and write down every biblical reference on an index card and come back and give it to me and say, Bronnie, look those up now. Make sure that you're thinking for yourself and make sure that you understand what's written down there. Thank you so much, Dad. I love you, Dad. You're amazing. And so I ripped it out of my journal and I went over and handed it to him and away we went. And I uh, probably was expecting him the next morning to be waiting at the door like the prodigal father. Like, where is she? He wasn't. Um, he was, my dad's a farmer. He was out talking to someone and I went over and stood next to him and just kind of put my hand on his shoulder and he went, shh, and kept talking to the person next to him. I was like, okay. And I stood there and he said, uh, oh, Bronnie, that was uh, whoever from whereverville and uh, they, you know, got such and such. And I was like, excellent, good to know. And, um, and then he said, oh, and also, about your letter, read it last night, cried and cried, gave it to your mother, she cried and cried, so thank you, <laughs> that's all I needed. And, 
And from there, Dad has been at every grandparents' day. He has he put our kids' bikes together last Christmas. As soon as he could get here for Christmas, he came. You see, God's method of dealing with things and coping with things is not to look at everything that's wrong, but to try and discover and dig out everything that's right. To find the things that we can take away that are praiseworthy and excellent and good and pleasing and perfect and think on those things rather than anything else. Now, you might say, Bron, you could find a lot about your dad to be grateful for. I I can't. I encourage you to look at your heavenly father and focus on him because he is not abusive. He stands up on behalf of those that are abused. He is not, he has not abandoned you. He is always there. He is not, not present. He is a very present help in times of trouble. He's not only present, he digs down with you in the trenches of adversity and sticks right by you. And then when it's time to go into no man's land, he's right there. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there and his rod and his staff will comfort you. He is right there with you. He is not mean. He is a good, good father. And He loves us. He loves us with an unfailing love. He's present. He's good. Yes, I have forgotten one of my points. That's all right. It's very important. He's good. He's not mean. He's present. He's not absent. He stays. He's a safe place. He's set, causing faith to rise and believing in and setting up you to take on your life. And so tonight I just want to read something out. And uh, I just want you to get this on the inside of you. Just I'll just read it line by line and I just want to let it resonate in you. And so if it applies to you and you agree with the line that I've said, then just internally, just between you and God, just say, yes, God, I take that for myself. I'm not my father. I have choices to make, destiny to pursue, and living to do. What I will carry with me into the future is all the good I can find. The past I joyfully leave behind. I determine to reflect my Heavenly Father. He is good all the time. His love endures forever. I determine to uphold the cause of the, de- the, cause of the defenseless. I determine to spend my strength on behalf of the weak. I determined to stay. When the going gets rough and tough and tumultuous, I will stay and fight for as long as I'm allowed to. I determined to be present in the moment, to leave my phone in the room and to engage in the now. I determined to be stable. I determined that people will be able to assume on me being the same. I will let God work this in me. I determined to be kind and comforting. When the, with the kindness and the comfort I have received, I will be a conduit to others. Heavenly Father, please work this in us, Lord. Lord, I pray that tonight, that Lord, as we, Lord, look at you, the perfect Father, that Lord, we'd be set free from anything else, Lord. Lord, help us to unfilter our view of you and let us look into the perfect word, Lord, and know who you are. God, I pray that we would no longer see you through a lens that should not apply to you. And Lord, let us reflect you in everything we do. And finally, I just want to pray uh, for one person and I'd just ask him to come to the platform. That's Daz. Um, it was a little less awkward this morning when I was praying for Tony Stace. He's not my husband. But uh, Daz is actually the father of this house. Yeah. 
And, uh, and so we want to pray for you, Daz. And um, if you feel comfortable, if you could come to your feet. And uh, we'll honour this man of God and pray for him. So, um, Mizos, if you're able, you want to come and gather around and put your hand on his shoulder. And if you feel comfortable and you stretch your hand out to him, feel free to do that as well. Almighty God, we thank you for this man. Lord, we thank you that he's wanting to follow you with everything that he has, God. And God, we pray you would lead him in that way. God, please give him wisdom and understanding, Lord, beyond his experience, God. But Lord, let him be a man of the word. And Lord, let revelation just come to him from that. Heavenly Father, let your power and your authority work in him to achieve everything that you want to, Lord God. Lord, we pray protection over him, Lord God. Lord, protection in his choices and in his decisions, Lord. Lord, we pray protection over his marriage, Lord God. We pray protection over his family, Lord God. Lord, for um, Isabella and Lockie and Kate, Lord, we pray that they would grow, uh, Lord, in your ways and in the knowledge of you, Lord God. Put your protective hedge around them, we pray, Lord God. Lord, we pray that as he fathers, Lord, this house, Lord, that you would enable him and equip him, Lord, and strengthen him for the task that you've given him. And Lord, we thank you for him. We're so grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.